We're in the 14th chapter of Genesis as we continue the journey of Abraham. And what we find this week is, as Lil told the children, a lot has been captured. Abraham gathers 318 troops and goes to rescue him. And then as he comes back, uh, two kings come out to meet him. And we are uh, that's where we pick it up in the 14th uh, chapter of Genesis. Then Melchizedek, a king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was high priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, uh, servant of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed God Most High, who has delivered all your enemies from your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything he had. Then the king of Sodom came out and said to Abram, Give me all the persons, and you can take the goods for yourself. And Abram said to him, I have raised my hand to God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a single thing from a thread to a sandal strap, and take anything that is yours, lest you could say, I have made Abram rich. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. You already know this, but a friendly reminder. If someone tries to sell you a timeshare in Sodom, don't go for it. I mean, first of all, we're not even sure where Sodom is. We can't find it anymore. But even if you would have lived back in Abram's day, you wouldn't wanted to take that deal. As we found out last week, Lot looked towards Sodom and thought, there's a place that'll take care of all my wealth that I've accumulated, and I'll have herds, and all my possessions uh, can be supported there. And so he looked to uh, Sodom for safety, but that's not how it turned out. It turned out that the king of Sodom and three other kings rebelled against a consortium of five kings led by a king named Chedorlomer and refused to pay tribute or taxes anymore. And the place that Lot thought was so safe was no longer safe because a war broke out. And the five kings defeated the four kings, and Lot, along with a lot of people of Sodom and their possessions, were carted off into slavery to the place of these five kings. Now, Abram gets word of it. And so Abram rallies a special forces group of 318 men. And he goes into enemy territory, and he rescues the people of Sodom, including Lot and all of his possessions. And it's after this victorious raid that uh, Abram is coming back and two kings come out to meet him. Now, the first king, we're told, (coughs) is the king of Salem. His name is Melchizedek. And he comes out and offers uh, and gives bread and wine and then offers a blessing. It's almost as if he says, to his visitor, here I am with open arms, and, and I receive you, and I give to you. Uh, now, what, a couple of things that Lil pointed out to the children, you need to know. Because when the Bible tells a story, and by story I don't mean not true, I mean it's in narrative form, the Bible's going to give you the facts that you need to know and leave out the ones you don't. Well, what you need to know is this guy's the king of Salem. Salem means shalom, peace, harmony, Beauty, truth, justice, all those things, that's what you find in Salem. That's what he's king of. But he's not only king, he's priest. And his name is Melchizedek. And his name means righteous king. 
And so it's as if the Bible story is uh, giving you a real big hint that he's the good guy. If he were to appear on a screen, an arrow would point toward him and his teeth would sparkle. This is the hero of the story. He is from Salem. He is a king and a priest who is righteous. But then another king comes forward uh, to meet Abram. He's the king of Sodom and he's unnamed and he doesn't come with open arms. He comes with a deal. And rather than give first to Abram, he wants to take. He says, you give me the persons and then you can take the goods. He comes to make a deal. He is unnamed. He's from Sodom. Oh, and did I tell you that Salem, many people believe, is also Jerusalem? Now, think back with me for a Bible. In the Bible, the number of times you read about Jerusalem, before the prophets and Jerusalem ends up uh, going against God, and then the number of times you read about Sodom, and, and the Bible makes it real obvious that Jerusalem is one way of doing and being Sodom's another. And if you've got a choice between the two, you choose Jerusalem. So the king of Sodom doesn't even get his name mentioned. And he comes out, and all he wants to do is deal. And if he had a name, it wouldn't be righteous king. It might be manipulating king. It might be pragmatic king. It might be king of the way we do things in this part of the world. Whatever. He is not righteous. And what's real clear, I think, the Bible is telling us today, that you've got a choice between two things, and Abram's got a choice. And Abram, we're told, chooses Jerusalem over Sodom. It's a good choice. And we know that he's made that choice because then Abram, of all that God has given him and blessed him with, gives 10% to Melchizedek. Let me help you make that choice again this morning. The Bible makes it pretty obvious. I hope I can do as well. The way of Jerusalem is a way that first comes to give rather than to take. The way of Jerusalem is a way that comes uh, to receive freely from God and then give back freely to others. The way of Sodom is to take what you can. The way of Sodom is to assume that everything you got you earned and you better hang on to it and maybe you can make a deal for the rest. The king of Sodom comes to make a bargain. The king of Salem comes to make a gift. Do you choose the way of Jerusalem or Sodom? The king of Jerusalem comes to offer blessing. The king of Jerusalem knows that everything he has are at the disposal of those who are in need, and he wants to give it to them. The king of Sodom feels like his purpose in life is survival. And he needs to hold on as best he can to whatever he has managed to accumulate in this world. Two pretty clear ways about going, uh, about going about our business. Now, in case you still haven't made up your mind which one is the one the Bible prefers, uh, let me do what Lil did for you. If you go forward in the Bible to Psalm 110, there's a prophecy made about the Messiah and it says, He will be a priest forever along the lines of Melchizedek. You don't even hear his name in the rest of the Old Testament till that verse. And then you go forward some more into the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews talks about another king who's also a priest. His name is Jesus. And this is what we're told about Jesus. He is a priest forever along the lines of Melchizedek. 
And as Lil pointed out, part of the argument in Hebrews is, we don't really know where Melchizedek came from. He just shows up on the scene. He just sort of drops onto the planet. We don't know anything about his background. And in some ways, though we know Mary and Joseph, we know that Mary and Joseph are not really the, uh, the origin of Jesus. And so in the same way, Jesus drops in. Melchizedek, with what God has given him, blesses Abram, and by uh, implication probably blesses others. Jesus drops in, and with what God has given him, blesses others as well. Two ways in the world. There's the way of Jerusalem, there's the way of Sodom. It's pretty clear the Bible wants to go the way of Jerusalem. And in fact, Paul points that out. In the Philippians, uh, chapter 2, he said, even though Jesus was rich, he was in the nature of God, he said, he was in the nature of God, he emptied himself and took the form of a servant on our behalf. Paul puts it this way, the Corinthians, Jesus, who, who was rich for our sake, became poor. Whatever he received freely, he passed on freely to us. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, or on the cross, we see a king and priest who has everything in the world at his disposal and gives it all up for us. I think about uh, the question that comes up every Christmas. Somebody will ask it or it will show up on TV, and the question goes something like this. What do you give the person who has everything? The Bible's not interested in that question at all. The Bible, I think, would ask this question. What does the person who has everything do? Or what does the person who has everything give? And the answer is he gives his life. All that he's freely received from God on the cross, he passes on and gives to us. That's a way of Jesus, but long before Jesus, it was the way of Melchizedek. It was the way of Jerusalem. And I thought about how do we get to be those kinds of people who would be like Melchizedek, who would be like Abram, who will be like Jesus. Because I, I think normally our, our first sense is, well, I would bless and I would give if I had a lot more. Then I could do that. But I have to tell you that, that in my experience in life, there's absolutely no correlation between the amount of wealth a person has and how they bless others. In fact, according to statistics in the United States of America, it's an inverse correlation. That the poorer you are in America, the higher percentage of your income you give away to charity. I don't know about time and talents and other resources. Those are harder to measure. But it seems to me that the ability to bless is not based on how much you have. I think rather it's a sense of how much you have. It's an attitude that you bring into it, an attitude of Melchizedek, an attitude of Abram that says, you know, I have been blessed greatly by God. I'm here to pass it on in whatever way that I can. You've probably figured this out in your own experience if you've ever left our confines and you've been to Mexico or you've been to Africa or you've been to Costa Rica or you've been to India, places we go. And what you find out is, is you minister among the poorest of the poor and they're trying to figure out ways to bless you though they have so much less than what you have. The ability to bless is not based on what you've accumulated. It's based on your heart and your sense of what you have. Is what you have freely given in your mind and heart from God? And if so, you tend to be able to more freely give. 
our ability to bless is not based on so much on the amount that we have, but our attitude about the amount that we have. There's a story uh, from India, and it, it goes like this. There is a holy man who's traveling and, uh, with his bag, and he's at the outskirts of a village, and he's, he's staying there leaning up against a tree. And a villager from the, from the town goes rushing up to him and says to the holy man, you must give me the precious stone that you have in your bag. And so the holy man rummages around in his bag and sure enough finds a diamond about this big and says, well, yeah, here, take it. I just found it on the road a few days ago. And so the villager is so excited. He said, I had a dream. And in a dream, I was told that if I went to the outskirts of town, I would find a holy man who would give me a diamond that would make me fabulously rich. And with great excitement, he ran back into town, put the diamond on his bed, and he went to sleep. Only he couldn't sleep, and he tossed, and he turned, and he tossed, and he turned. And finally, at daylight the next morning, he took the diamond, went running back out to the edge of town, found the holy man, and he said to him, Give me the wealth that enables you to give away this precious diamond so easily. And of course, the story is that the holy man's got nothing else in his bag of much worth. But his attitude is he's got stuff worth a lot more than diamonds. He has a sense of blessedness. He has a sense of who he is. And because he has a sense of being freely blessed, he's able to turn around and freely give. That's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be from the school, from the way, from the place of Jerusalem. I want to be the kind of person like Melchizedek and Abram and Jesus who knows that he is freely received from God but in return is eager to freely pass on as well. Now, as we have done the past couple of weeks, there is in your uh, bulletin this morning a card with a couple questions on it. Now, two questions might seem like at least one too many, but I'm going to give you the answer to the second question. This is better than an open book. I'm just going to tell it to you. The second question on uh, this card is a question that Paul asked of the Corinthians. What do you have that you did not receive? I'm going to give you the answer to that one, okay? The answer is nothing. Nothing. Anything you have in life is a gift from God, Paul believed. Now think about it for a moment. You might say, well, I went to school before I got this job. Well, yeah, there's a lot of people in our world that don't have that opportunity to go to school. How did you get that opportunity? Well, I came up with this brilliant plan at our business. Oh. So that particular day or week or month, you were able to think clearly. Perhaps you were not bothered by life-threatening illness. Perhaps you had food in your stomach that day or that month. There's nothing that you have done or that you have that didn't first come from God. That's the thing that Melchizedek knew and that Abram knew. What do you have that you didn't receive? The answer is nothing. Now, the first question is a little tougher. What is it that you could do to share some of what God has given you to bring peace or beauty or justice to a person or situation 
here on earth. I, I choose those terms because those are typical ways that, that we uh, might describe Jerusalem. A place where things kind of flow the way God wants them. Who do you know in your world and life is not living in Jerusalem? They don't have the kind of joy you have. They don't have the peace. They don't have whatever it is. And you might be able to make a difference for them. Is there something you could give them of your time, of your energy? Is there something you have in your house? Is there something you could say or do that would bring them closer to the state where God wants them? I'd invite you to think about and pray about that question for a few moments. And and when you have an answer, write it down and and drop it in the basket. Now remember, we get this practice from the churches where I was in Africa. And if you don't have an answer, then just write, I don't know, but I'm willing when you show me, God. And just bring that forward. As I've told you, the people in Africa, if they've got something to give, they put it in the basket. And if they don't, they put their hand in the basket anyway just to say, when I get something, God, I will give it. When I know and sense that I've been blessed freely, I will freely pass that on. Take a few moments and see how you might make a difference in somebody's life today.